Luke 7, verses 18 to 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? In the hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what ye have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers cleanse, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are kings of courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is who... This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare a way before you. I tell you, among these born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, the tax, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and we did not dance. We sang a dagger, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say... Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. God, we thank you for this moment, and we pray that your word will bring life to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Somebody asked me earlier, are you uh, barbecuing today for lunch? And I said, yes. I'm going to stand outside, and I'm going to get barbecued. <laughs> and hopefully that's not the case. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. Glad, glad you're here. Glad you're here. Uh, John, is, John the Baptist is in prison. He is locked up. Remember John? He's the great prophet who declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now he's locked up. And something's happening. Very strange. Uh, Jesus leaves town. After he finds out that John is locked up and Jesus goes about doing good and healing and delivering everybody but John. And John asks a very honest question. And he says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? In other words, John was he was having second thoughts about this sermon that he had preached. Wasn't quite sure if it was true, if it was real. And he was questioning that. So what I believe this text helps us to answer today is a question that I think many of us ask. At some point in our life, we ask this question. And the question is this. What do you do when God doesn't do what you expect him to do? What do you do 
when God doesn't do what you expect him to do. I was 18 years of age. It was 1989. It was my senior year of high school. I had worked hard all my high school years to save up and buy my my first vehicle. And how many of you know, there's, there's a lot of pride and joy that comes into that, all this hard work. And so I went out, I had $3,000 saved up. And uh, I, found that, I found out that a deacon at our church was selling his little S10 pickup, extended cab, automatic, perfect truck. I loved it. 70,000 miles. He was asking $3,000 for it. Perfect. So I bought this truck, paid cash for it. Now I'm broke, right? But I'm just thanking God for this blessing. God, you've provided this great deal. I have this truck. It's like the dream. I'm 18 years old. It's paid for. I'm loving this. I'm driving this. And I'm driving this truck to church one day. It's about a month after I bought it. Just one month. um, Maybe even a little less. And I'm driving. And I pull up to a, 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 a traffic light. And I start hearing this knocking sound under the hood. I'm like, what is that? My dad always taught me, listen, if you hear any new noises, don't ignore them. Thank God for dads, right? You know, today we've got all these lights that come on, check engine light and maintenance lights and all of this sort of stuff. Back then you had to use your ears. You listen and you hear a strange noise. Don't ignore it. So I was like a block from the church. So I pulled into the church parking lot, parked the vehicle and I called the mechanic and I described to him what was going on. And he asked a few questions and he said, he said, well, it sounds like your, your engine has, has thrown a rod. And, and I said, what does that mean? That means your engine's blown. It sounds to me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me. He said, do this, call a tow truck. Don't drive it. Call a tow truck, have the tow truck, um, pick it up and take it to my, my shop and I'll look it over and I'll give you a report. So I did. I called the tow truck and after calling the tow truck, I got out some oil. Um, not the 10W30 motor oil. I got out the anointing oil. I went into the church and I got myself a bottle of anointing oil. And I figured, man, you know, if the prayer of faith can make the sick well, then the prayer of faith can make sick trucks well. And those who believe will lay hands on the truck and it shall recover in Jesus' name. I'm like, you know what? This faith has got to be, it's got to work for bodies and for trucks and for thrown rods. And so I get the oil out and I'm putting the oil on the truck and smearing it on there. And I'm laying hands on this truck and then I'm praying everything. I, I'm just a new believer. I don't know much, but I'm casting out every devil I've ever heard of. And, you know, devil of thrown rods come out in Jesus name. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just praying over this thing, you know, and, and I, and, and I did the Jericho march, no lie, seven times around this truck. I'm like, man, if, if the name of Jesus doesn't do it, the Jericho march will, you know. You know, God blessed me with this truck and he's going to deliver from this demon of whatever, you know. And I am like serious about this, you know. And I'm like, God, you are going to hear my cry. You are going to answer. And, uh, and that was it. And, and the next day, I got a call from the mechanic and he says, uh, You've got to replace your engine. <laughs> he said, your, uh, your engine threw a rod and we can buy new or we can rebuild it. And if I rebuild it, it'll cost $1,500. This is a long time ago, 1989. You know, a long time ago for me. And back then that was a lot of money, especially when you didn't have it. You know, didn't have any of it. So, uh, so I was mad. I was hot. I was mad. 
at the truck. I was mad at God. I was mad at the church deacon that sold me the truck. I learned a lesson. Never buy anything from church deacon. You can't trust them. You just can't trust them. <laughs> he apologized, but he didn't pay for it. You know. So I had to borrow the money. I'd go into debt, something I was proud that I didn't have to do, bought the truck, paid cash. Now I'm in debt, you know, and I got this, you know, this thing, and I am mad. I am mad at God, and I'm like, God, is this how you treat your son? You know, is this, is this what this abundant life is all about? Um, I was really, I was honestly mad, um, and just, and didn't, didn't know how to process this thing, and what do you do when God doesn't do what you expect him to do, what do you do? There's another story in, in the Gospels. That we didn't read it this morning, but I'll tell you about it. And it's the story, very familiar. You've heard of it, perhaps. Um, Jesus is uh, wanting to cross the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And so he gets in this boat with his disciples and they get to the other side of the lake. And when they get out of the boat, there is this demonized person. There's a man who is... He is, he is uh, uh, demon-possessed or demonized. He is under the influence of demonic strongholds. And um, long story short, they, you know, Jesus discovers that there, there is many demons in this man controlling him and influencing him. And, and Jesus drives the demons out of that man into this herd of pigs that's nearby. Remember the story? And so the crazy man's no longer crazy. Now the pigs are crazy. And the pigs, they jump off this cliff and, and into the water, and over 2,000 uh, pigs drown that day. So it's a great day for this, this dude who is demon-possessed, but it's a lousy day for the pig farmer. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And even, and even even a more worse day, more terrible day for the pigs themselves. And I can just imagine, you know, the pig farmer coming home and, you know, he's got his head down. He's just shaking his head. Just, what's going on here? What's going on? His wife says, hey, honey, how was your day at work? And he's like, well, um, it started out great. You know, I was out there tending the pigs or whatever that is. And, you know, I'm watching over the pigs. And this guy in this boat with his friends, they come up, pull up on shore. And they start talking to the crazy guy. The crazy guy, you know, but yeah, yeah, the crazy guy. They start talking to this crazy guy. And then suddenly, um, all of all of my pigs, they run off the cliff into the lake and now they're all drowned. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? How did that happen? He's like, I don't know. All I know is that that guy's no longer crazy. The pigs were and they off the, off the cliff and honey, we're broke. We're broke. Crazy story, right? See, God was up to something in one man's life that affected another man's life in a big, big way. Sometimes we're the dude that's delivered. Sometimes we're the pig farmer. And sometimes we're the pigs. And at any point in your life, you are going to find yourself identifying with one of those three characters in the story. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you this morning, you're like uh, the guy who was delivered. Man, you're here and you're singing and you're worshiping and God has delivered you from all kinds of addictions and he has forgiven you from all kinds of sins and he has been forgiven much, loves much, and you are just in love with Jesus. He's delivered you from so many things. And some of you are here this morning, you feel like the pig farmer. 
You're like, you know, you got the, the, the rotten end of the deal. You're going through it right now, right? So they're blessing at your expense. Somehow, something's going on here. It doesn't make sense. Some of you, you feel like, you know, I am on the edge of death. Maybe you've experienced a death in a family or death in a relationship, death to a marriage. Something inside of you has died. You, you, you move around among these three characters in your life. Right? How many of you remember days when God just came down and he miraculously delivered you from something? And you know, I was talking to one guy uh, at, at the first service and he was... Man, he did dope for, for years and years and years. And he said, one day a guy prayed for me. He just prayed a simple prayer for me. And in that moment, he says, um, I was delivered. He says, I never, ever had the urge. He said, it's been 20 years. Just boom, like that. Not even the urge, not even the temptation. That's unusual. I mean, God sets us free from stuff. That doesn't mean we, we are usually set free from temptation, right? Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. But this dude immediately, right? So he's the guy in the story that was delivered immediately, right? And wow, all right? But I think a lot of you are maybe in the place where, where you're the pig farmer, where you're like, the kingdom is being advanced, but you feel like everybody else is getting the blessing but you. All right. So this takes us back to the story about John that um, that we just looked at. So Herod has John the Baptist put in prison. Why? Well, Herod is is fooling around with his brother's wife and her name is Herodias. Um, Herodias. Don't name your child Herodias. Okay. And and so she doesn't like the fact that John's pointing this relationship out. He's like public about it and rebuking Herod the king. You know, I mean, that probably not a good idea unless you're a prophet and God tells you to do that. Okay. But, you know, Herodias gets upset about it and has John put in prison. So now John is put in prison. He's in prison for nine months. Okay. Uh, he's now silenced. This great prophet is now silenced. He's put in prison for nine months. And Matthew chapter four tells us this, that as soon as John was put in prison, Jesus heard about it. And as soon as Jesus heard that John was put in prison, he actually left Judea where John was in prison and he went to Galilee. How do you like that? Is that fair? John is proclaiming Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the son of the living God who takes away the sins of the world, the lamb of God. And now he's in a hot spot. He's in trouble. Right. And he, you know, he prepared the way for Jesus. And as soon as Jesus finds out that he's in a tough spot, he's in prison. Jesus leaves Judea and he goes to Galilee. Can you imagine John's disciples going to John? Hey, uh, as soon as Jesus heard that you were in a bad spot, uh, he left. Dude's gone. He's gone. You know, the one that you serve, the one that you preached about, all that, he left. He's gone. What? What are you talking about? This is not what I expected, John is thinking. It's not what I expected. And to add insult to injury, not only did Jesus ab- abandon John in prison, but now he's blessing everybody else he comes in contact with. Jesus is healing. Remember last week, he's healing the centurion's servant. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus is raising from the dead this widow's son, her only son, raising. And and then in verse number 21, it says this. In that hour, Jesus healed many of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. 
So all these amazing things are happening all around John while something terrible is happening to John. It doesn't make any sense. Why are they being set free while I am, I am sitting here in prison? John, this great man of God who, you know, he was convinced Jesus was the Messiah and he preached it. And now he's doubting. He's doubting. How many of you know you can be spiritual and be doubting? <laughs> You can be close to God. You can be mightily used of God. You can know God. You can walk with God for years and years, but you can still be doubting. And here John is doubting. What about my chains? What about the injustices of Rome? I thought you were going to come and and turn over tables and set up your kingdom. And you were going to come down with fire. You were going to set us free from Roman oppression. What happened to our deliverer? Where are you? Are you the one who should come or should we expect somebody else? He's having doubts. And what do you do when God doesn't do what you expect him to do? And maybe like John, you're in a place in your life right now where you never expected you would be. Never expected you'd be. Maybe, maybe you, um, what you used to be so sure of, what you used to be so sure of, you're not so sure of anymore. You used to be so sure of Jesus. And you're here today or you're listening online and you're like, you know, I, I used to be so sure. I used to be so full of faith and courage and bold. And I used to be. But I'm not so sure about Jesus anymore. Or maybe maybe it's church. You're like, you know, I was convinced of church. I thought, man, this is it. God's church is amazing. But you, you're not so sure about church anymore. And those of you listening online, uh, listen up. Right? You know, I, I just recently became a some some that uh, left Good News Church, and I don't get offended or bent out of shape over that. I always want to know why, because sometimes there's really good reasons why people no longer consider Good News their home, and and a few people recently left because they they felt like they needed a smaller church. And and my my comment would be, well, have you tried our small groups, right? So we're a big church, but we're a big church of of, of small churches. Of small groups and getting in those kinds of relationships. And, um, and maybe that was a tangent. Maybe that was free for you today. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but, but sometimes we are so sure of things. Then we're not sure of things anymore. And it could be Jesus. It could be church. You know, it could be marriage. You'd be like, I am so sure about marriage and how this marriage thing works. And how many of you know, before you're married, you're just really confident you're going to be an incredible husband, incredible wife. It's going to be bliss forevermore. Amen. Amen. Right. Uh, Isn't that how it works? That's how it works. Uh, and there's this honeymoon phase, you know, and then you get to know each other. Right. And that's kind of the way it is with a lot of things in life. You know, there's uh, it's like church, you know, I found this good news church. Man, they are amazing. They're in- incredible in every way. They're perfect. I found the perfect church. Listen, if you ever find one, don't attend it because it won't be perfect anymore. Just let you know. And then after three months, six months, you're like, wow, they're not perfect. They're actually real people who go to good news church. Come on. Right. And you're not so sure about church anymore. And you're like, uh, I don't know if I want to like be part of that. And. You know, Jesus disappointed me and he didn't do what I expect him. So I'm not sure that I, I want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly because I can't get my head around it. I can't understand it anymore. And so you distance yourself from it. So what do you do when God doesn't do what you expect him to do? You do what John did. 
Be honest. Number one, be honest. Be honest. And be honest with people. If you look closely at the text, it says that that John, he approached two of his disciples. Notice he didn't stand before the whole church. He didn't stand before. He didn't tell everybody what he was doubting, what he was questioning. But he had two that he trusted. And he went to these two and he said, listen, guys, I'm not sure if Jesus is the one or if there's somebody else. Would you go ask him for me? Listen, when you are going through a place of of doubt and you have questions and God isn't doing what you expect him to do, you need to find two people that you can pour your guts out to. You need that. You need somebody you can go to. And this last week I, I sat down with somebody and I said, listen, I need somebody to be honest with. I need somebody who I can I, who can be my pain and my purity partner. Could you be that person? Would you be that person? Every one of us needs somebody that we can go to. And he found two people that he could trust and he could be honest with. And so when you're doubting and you have a crisis in your faith, man, you've got to take it to the right people. And small groups are a great place to find those right people. You don't have to trust your whole group. But man, there's got to be a few, somebody, one or two people in my group that I can call and say, man, I don't know about church. I don't know about Jesus. I don't know about marriage. Are you with me? I don't know about healing. I don't know about tongues. I don't know about the Bible. Is it true? I need somebody. I can, everybody needs somebody to go to and be honest with. And John had his two disciples. But not only was he honest with them, he was honest with Jesus. Listen, when you doubt, don't, do not give Jesus the silent treatment. He can handle your doubts. John took his doubts to Jesus. Are you the one? And what's interesting is Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus didn't get angry with him. Jesus answered him. And it was an answer that maybe didn't quite make all that sense, or he didn't get the whole, but he got an answer. Listen, God's not going to get mad at you when you doubt him. Let me give you permission to doubt God this morning. This is good preaching. You can doubt God. It's okay to doubt God. Let me give you permission to doubt God. Because when, when, when John doubted God, God didn't get angry with John. And God didn't get angry with Peter when Peter denied him. And God didn't get angry with Thomas when Thomas doubted him. He said, Thomas, see my hands, see my side, see me, touch me, experience me, Thomas. When the the men on the road to Emmaus after the after the death of of Jesus on the cross, the crucifixion, they 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 walked away shaking their heads. We thought he was the guy. I guess he wasn't. They were so disappointed. How did Jesus handle that? He didn't run up to him and say, I rebuke you in Jesus name. What's wrong with you? Why? What's wrong with you? No, he he walked alongside them and he be and he took them to the scripture and he he helped them to see in the scriptures that that the Messiah would die and then he would be raised from the dead. And and then their eyes were opened. Listen, I want to give you permission to doubt today. It's normal to wrestle with doubts. If there was no room for doubt in our walk with God, there would be no room for faith. We wouldn't need faith if we didn't have doubt. So if you have doubts about God, you're in the right place here. God's not angry with you. He wants you to be honest with a few trusted people. He wants you to be honest with him. Say, man, there's some things I doubt. I don't understand why God doesn't do what I expect him to do. Doubt is never the problem. It's who we take it to. It's who we take it to. 
So what do we do when God doesn't do what we expect him to do? Number one, we be honest. We got to be honest. Got to be real. No fake it, okay? Don't give me your best Facebook page. Don't give me your best Facebook face. I want to see the real you, Jesus says. I want to know it all. And you need to let somebody else into your life who knows it all as well. The second thing, Jesus said this. He said, don't be offended. So when God doesn't do what you expect him to do, he says, don't get offended. Don't get bitter. Don't get silent with me. Don't be offended by me, Jesus said. You know, it's interesting. Jesus didn't tell the disciples, listen, tell John, I'm sorry. I had another appointment. I'll be right there. And man, we're going to bust down the gates of this prison. I'm going to come in there. I'm going to lay down some smack and I'm going to teach Herod who I am. You know, I mean, that's what John wanted to hear. That's what I want to hear. Right. Come on and make a good movie. Right. Instead, Jesus says, listen, don't don't be offended because of me. Don't be offended. Don't be offended. He said, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. You see, John the Baptist, he was right about a lot of stuff. And he was right about Jesus being the Messiah. He was right. He was the one. And he was right that Jesus was going to bring this kingdom. But he was wrong about how he was going to bring it. He was right about the who Jesus was, but he was wrong about the how Jesus would bring his kingdom. How many of you know we can be right some of the time about God, but we can never be right all of the time about God. And I think when we approach this, this walk, this journey with God, we have to understand that Um, you're not going to be right every time about God. You're going to be right some of the time about God. If there was no mystery, if there was no room for mystery about God, would God be God? If we could understand everything about him, figure it all out, predict him, put formulas to it, put him in a box, would he be God? Would you worship a God like that? See, faith requires us to embrace mystery. It requires us to embrace a mysterious God. And we have to say, like the scripture, you know, his ways are beyond understanding. They're beyond finding out. There are things I will never understand about God. And that's why God gives us faith. And at some point you have to say, you know what? I don't get it. I have doubts. I'm not sure about this, but I believe. At some point you have to say, I am going to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I could be the best apologist in the world and I could give a defense for the faith and I explain, you know, the, the, the historicity and the, uh, the inerrancy of scripture and all of this and that. And I could try to get your mind around it, but I'll never completely satisfy your logic. I'll never completely satisfy your thirst for understanding because, because if you are going to receive the God of the universe, your creator, the savior of your soul, you have to embrace him with faith. You have to say, God, I don't completely understand, but I believe I'm going to trust you. You might be here this morning. You might be thinking in your heart, man, God is so unfair. God is so unfair. Look at John. God is so unfair. Look at the pig farmer. So unfair. Right. You better believe God is unfair and you better thank God that he's unfair because what you deserve is right there. And what I deserve is right there. And what we all deserve, right, is this penalty of our sin. And that's death and separation from God forever and ever. That's what we deserve. 
So I'm glad God's an unfair God. I'm glad he doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. And there are things that God does in his kingdom. And sometimes I'm the guy delivered. And sometimes I'm the pig farmer. And sometimes I feel like the pig and I'm dying. Right? And I don't have to understand all of it. I have to be honest with it. I can't be offended about it. Right? See, there are really two ways that, that, we, can, that, that we can approach life. Okay? We can approach life from, um, in our view of God from like a, a bottom-up approach to God or a top-down approach to God. Let me explain the difference. A bottom-up approach to God is kind of like this. You, you take your life and your knowledge and your experiences and you project them onto God. Well, because of what's happened in my life, because of what I know, right? Because of what I've experienced, God must be like this. That's the bottom-up approach to God, right? And what happens with that approach to God is, is when things are good in your life, God is good. God is a good God and he's worthy to be praised. Right. And when things are bad, things are going not so good. Right. Poorly in your life. Then you begin to question the goodness of God and you begin to get offended. Right. And why? It's because we take this bottom up approach to God. We project our life and we say, well, God must be like this. The other way to live our life is this this top down approach. OK, and that's what that's where we take who God is and what he says. Right. And we project that down to our life. So we begin with who God is. We begin with what his word says and that and that his word says that God is good and that he's trustworthy and that he's faithful. Right. And all these things. And we begin living a top down approach. Some would call that a biblical worldview. So what do you do when God doesn't do what you expect him to do? Be honest. Don't be offended. And the third thing is, and the last is this, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Verse 35, Jesus finished his message with this. He said, he said, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. And another translation says, wisdom is proved right by all of her children. What do you do when God doesn't do what you expect him to do? Be patient. The wisdom of God, right, will be proved right by her children or by her fruit. So, in other words, God is comparing wisdom to children. And he's saying this. He says, it takes time for children to grow up. Does it not? Right? It takes time for wisdom to show forth its fruit. It takes time for wisdom to, to grow up, for you to see, oh, that's why God did that. Let me ask you, how long does it take for children to grow up? Yeah, exactly. I, it depends on the child, right? I mean, but they all eventually, Lord willing, grow up. And some it takes longer and some it takes a little bit shorter. But for us to see the wisdom of God, it takes time. Wisdom is proved right. Wisdom is justified by all of her children. And that's how it works with the, with the wisdom of God. You know, for John, um, why did God allow John to be imprisoned for nine months, to be silenced, and then to be beheaded at the end of those nine months? Why? What kind of wisdom is that? Again, wisdom is proved right by her children. 
So consider this. Herod, while John was in prison, Herod listened to John while in prison. We find that in Mark chapter 6, verse 16 through 20. So we know that John was able to warn and teach this powerful ruler. God gave, gave John an audience with the king, right? Although it cost John all of his comforts and all of his freedom, it put John before the king. It put him before Herod. And later we find out that Herod actually wanted to see Jesus, have an audience with Jesus and hear Jesus as well. And we see that in Luke chapter 9, verse 9. So God has good reasons which are clear to him immediately and clear to us later. How many of you, how many of you believe in the later, right? I mean, think about this. Think about a difficulty you went through five years ago, ten years ago, whenever, and, and look at look at now and, and see the why, see the wisdom behind that. Some things we will never understand. We'll take them to our grave. We'll take questions to our grave. There'll be unanswered questions. There'll be unanswered mysteries, unsolved mysteries. We'll take those to our grave and we'll never know that. But sometimes God allows us to see the wisdom of his kingdom and of his actions. God has good reasons. He is not wanting anyone to perish, anyone to perish but to all to come to repentance. You know, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, my death, my daily death to myself is producing life in you. So if somebody's going to live, somebody has to die. And I think we have to see that sometimes we are the duties being delivered. Sometimes we're the pig farmer and sometimes we're the pigs. But God's kingdom is advanced. I think Jesus does a good job here of, of defining what blessedness looks like in the kingdom. Blessing in God's kingdom is, is uh, not getting what you want. Blessing in the kingdom of God is God getting what he wants. Okay? And oftentimes they are two very different things. Uh, and, and he lays it out in this passage and he, he begins to describe the generation of that day. And he goes, you know, this generation, they ask questions like, why don't you dance when we play the flute? Why don't you sing and, and, or, you know, why don't you weep when we sing the dirge, the funeral song? Why don't you weep? And why do you eat with sinners? And, and Jesus is basically saying, because my kingdom is so different than your kingdom. I'm going to do things that you don't expect me to do. And things that you expect me to do, I am not going to do. Why? Because my kingdom is a completely other kingdom. So when you, when you play the flute, don't expect me to dance. When you sing the song, don't expect me to weep. Listen, I'm going to be eating with sinners. I'm going to be doing things different than you think. And he's laying down this groundwork, this foundation for what the kingdom of God looks like. And in my kingdom, sometimes what I want is different than what you want. And this is a good opportunity to remind all of us that the gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. And I think in the late 20th and 21st century, the gospel has been made all about us. The gospel has become very human-centric, egocentric, and hedonistic. Whatever brings me the most pleasure and the most happiness, that must be the good news. That must be the good news, Right? The way the kingdom comes, though, as we learn through Scripture, the way the kingdom of God comes is always through the shedding of blood. It's always through the shedding of blood. We see that in the Old Testament. 
The way sins are covered, the atonement, it's through the shedding of blood. The way the kingdom of God came onto the earth was through Jesus and the shedding of his blood. And the way the kingdom of God comes to the earth today, it's no different. It's through the shedding of our blood and not the blood of our enemies. Oh, this is a a good amen message. For the kingdom to be advanced, for the king king and the kingdom to live, something has to die. It's like any relationship, right? I was talking to a friend this week, and uh, he happens to to mentor a lot of couples and and, uh, just really gifted and graced in that area. And I sat down and I asked him, I said, what do you think is the, the biggest challenge you see in marriages today? And he said, selfishness selfishness. Boy, that's brilliant, isn't it? He said, if if we could eradicate selfishness from marriage, every marriage would be incredible. It would be amazing. If we could eliminate selfishness from marriage, we could eliminate hardship and divorce and we could eliminate so much if we could eliminate selfishness. And I said, man, that's a great idea. I came home and I told Carrie, I said, you first, babe. (laughs) First. Right. If our marriage is going to live and I'm blessed with an incredible wife and a great marriage, if our marriage is going to live, somebody's got to die. You first, you know, you know, you know, that's kind of the way we think this way we wired. Right. And God's kingdom, if God's kingdom is going to be advanced in the earth, sometimes that means we're going to be the dude who's delivered. Sometimes we're going to be the pig farmer. and We're going to be scratching your head at the end of the day and go. At my expense, this dude is delivered. And someday we're going to feel like John, who's in prison, about ready to get his head cut off. We're going to be like that pig, you know. And we don't understand what's going on. And God doesn't explain it. He gives us answers like, don't be offended. That's it. Don't be offended. So his disciples said, okay, we'll go tell him. Don't be offended. And while they're walking away, Jesus turns to the crowd and says, let me tell you about John. Listen, let me tell you about John. John's not some wimp. He's not some, you know, piece of grass that's blown in the wind. Let me tell you about John. And he begins to commend John and commend his faith. And Too bad this John's disciples didn't hang around to hear that. All John got was don't be offended. And maybe that's you this morning. And that's the message God has for you. He's not going to explain all the whys and the hows. He's just going to say, don't be offended because of me. And if you're not offended, guess what? He says, you're blessed then. And we have to learn and we have to look at the guy who is delivered from demons while we're, well, we lost all of our pigs or income or whatever. And we have to look at the guy and said, because he's blessed, I'm blessed. And the kingdom advances. So I don't know where you're at today, where you find yourself moving in one of those characters in the story that I just told, but. God wants to do this today. He wants to encourage you. He wants to encourage you to be honest. Don't be offended. And be patient. Because wisdom is proved right by her children. And if you're the servant of God, you can trust God. No matter what crap you're going through. Forgive my phraseology. But sometimes that's the best word to describe life. Right? And it happens. And it's messy. And it's stinky. And you're in it. And you're like, you know what? I am not going to be offended. Right? 
I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be patient because God is up to something in his kingdom and I get to be part of it. Now, no matter where I find myself in the story, I get to be part of it. And God's kingdom advances. The gospel is about Jesus and advancing Jesus in the earth. And if you're here today and you, you're, you're like John, you're in a difficult place and you have some honest questions and you want to say, you know what? I want to be honest with Jesus. I don't want to be offended. I want to be patient. I want you to stand with me to your feet. If that's you, I want to just pray with you right where you're at today. Thank you, God, that you give us permission to doubt, permission to be honest. Lord, today we, we come before you. We humble ourselves. We say, God, we... Uh, We don't have the whole truth. We don't see things as you see things. We see things as we see things. And we may never see things as you see things. But So God, give us the ability, God. Give us the ability to not be offended this morning. Give us the ability to be patient. Give us the ability to trust you, to trust your wisdom. Give us the ability to know that, God, in in due time... Your wisdom will be proved right. We may not see it today or tomorrow or 20 years down the road. But God, we stand here and we say, we trust you, God. We trust you. No matter what comes our way, God, we trust you. God, there are things we are not sure of today. There are things we were certain of yesterday that we're not certain of today. But God, we say we trust you anyway. God, so I pray that you would help us us to grow in our faith and our trust of you. Thank you for not rebuking us in our doubts. Lord, we bless you today. I'd like everybody to stand if you would. We're going to sing this chorus and just take some time and worship God as we close. I want to encourage all of you. Let's, let's engage. And in the time we have left, let's engage. This chorus is powerful. Let's engage. Let's put ourselves before God again today. Can we do that together? Maybe raise your hand.
God, we say, uh, like Jesus, not our will, God, but your will be done. God, we understand that um, blessing in the kingdom is you getting what you want. Whether we agree with it, whether we like it, whether we understand it, it's you getting what you want. So, God, we say, not what I want, but what you want. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. God, thank you today. Thank you today for Jesus. God, we bless you. We love you. We pray, God, that you would advance your kingdom in the earth and do it through Good News Church. Do it through everybody here today, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. God, we pray that uh, as we open these altars and as we pray for the sick and those who are tormented and we pray for those who are far from you, God, I pray for miracles to happen at this altar today, God. God, we pray that that like that demonized man that was set free and like those who who were uh, sick, God, were healed, Lord, I pray that would take place right here today, right here today. God, I thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, God, bring your kingdom, God. Bring your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come. If you'd like prayer today, that's what this is all about. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Pray with you. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope to see you at a small